Hey, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Product in LA podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Cole, and this is an opportunity to shine the spotlight on some of the exceptional product leaders we have as part of the LA product community. With us on today's episode is Chris Brereton. What's up, Ethan? Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Excited to talk to you. Likewise. As always, Product in LA is brought to you by Uruit. That's U-R-U-I-T.com. They're a team of product strategists, managers, designers, developers that build digital solutions that wow customers and stakeholders alike. Formed in 2007, they're now a team of over 100 product enthusiasts that have delivered more than 150 products. You can learn more at Uruit.com. That's U-R-U-I-T.com. Also brought to you by the Product Managers Association Los Angeles. They are a professional organization of 2,500 of LA's top product talent. They put on monthly meetups as well as have a mentorship program that connects underrepresented students from, uh, with product managers um, to help build a better and more diverse next generation. Uh, to learn more, go to pma.la slash mentorship or pma.la slash events. Very excited to, to have Chris Brereton on our show today. Uh, Chris is a partner and chief product officer of Sidebench, and his past roles include VP of product at Inspire, president and CPO at Thematic, and he was way back in the day a uh, senior product manager at Cornerstone On Demand. Way one, <laughs> I made it in there, Chris. And one interesting fact you, you may not know about Chris, uh, he has a certificate for international trade development, I have Ooh. to imagine there's a story behind that, Chris. Yeah, you're digging in there. Uh, the quick story is just was very curious about international trade. So when self-educated, the, the fun fact I remember, God, that's so long ago too. Uh, <laughs> I think I was like 20 years old when I did that. Um, the fun fact at the time was $1.1 trillion of goods on the water at any point in time. That number's got to be significantly greater now. Wow. $1.1 trillion. And probably more when the supply chain backed up for years. It's probably oh, yeah. two or three at some point in 2020. Absolutely. That's, That's awesome. Funny. I forgot I even did that. Oh, the, the internet never forgets, Chris. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as, as, always uh interesting to talk to product people there there is no clear path into product everyone has found their their way into it uh chris you have an interesting background very curious to hear about your story and, and what brought you into product yeah this is a this is a fun one i think for all product people to talk about at least if you're as old as us maybe <laughs> you folks are getting like formal product educations but we sure didn't have that huh definitely not um, man i guess where did it start uh Graphic design was probably the first place that like producty things started happening for me. Like Photoshop five, I think was the first version I had when it was on a CD-ROM and you'd have to wait forever to throw a drop shadow on an individual layer. So you'd wait until uh, you were pretty much done before you wanted to render anything like that. That's terrific. Um, that, Parlayed into building websites. I grew up playing in, in a rock and roll band and made t-shirts and websites and all kinds of stuff like that for other bands. And that got me into some light coding. I think those were like angel fire days, if I remember correctly, like not even running hosts of my own. Yes. Um, 
And then all that at some point in time transpired into my very first company uh, where I wore kind of all the hats. I was the CEO and, and co-founder, but, uh, you know, I was doing product design. I was doing, stuff. I was doing excuse me, rude. I'll come through. Uh, and uh, was also been at least leading a lot of the engineering work at that point. Uh, so that was all producty stuff. I didn't call it product yet. I didn't really know that was a thing yet until I sold that company. And then when I was figuring out what the hell I was going to do next, I think uh, product was the thing I liked the most about running the company. So I gravitated in that direction and had a really good time back in the day at Cornerstone, uh, seeing what a real big multi-billion dollar product organization looks like. Uh, so That's great. That was, was there a person or or mentor or just your self-awareness like how did you decide what you were doing with product at what point was there something that clicked inside you that like this is the thing was it was it self-guided or was there someone saying you you know what you really should check out chris this is uh, product management you actually you're secretly a product manager and never never knew it i i think it was self-guided but there was definitely this like product management thing popping up in the zeitgeist it was becoming more and more of a thing uh, and it, it embodied a lot of the stuff that I enjoyed the most, which is like, how do I combine the business with the design work, with the engineering, and how can I kind of like control my own destiny there in a bit, like write my own ticket. Uh, I had some friends that had the formal title, so I got to like jam with them on what is it that you're doing on a day-to-day, -day? and what seemed incredibly exciting to me at the time was, uh, man, we have all this other support. There's designers, there's product uh, uh not product management, project management. We've got a full team of engineers. There's QA people over here. Like, you should come try it. I'm like, wait, I don't have to do all that by myself. <laughs> awesome. Let's give it a go. So, yeah, I, uh, I cut my teeth officially under that title at, at Cornerstone the first time. That's terrific. And I imagine, you know, there must have been a lot of learnings going from, you know, the, the startup you were at to, to a larger corporation. Oh, yeah. What was it like um, transitioning from the two? Uh, wow. When I joined Cornerstone, we were a global company at that time. I think we were like 6,000 employees. There were 35 people on the product management team. Um, I had never seen anything at that scale. And so uh, 35, I think, product managers for 25 different product lines. There were some legacy and some new ones. There were hundreds and hundreds of engineers and release schedules mattered and uh, release readiness and communications mattered in a different way than I had ever seen before. Uh, so there was just a ton of communication and rigor in the process that needed to be there that didn't matter in startup mode. Uh, the other thing I'd say is like just the pace was felt glacial compared to startup mode. Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, we were doing three-month release cycles, and I can't, couldn't imagine releasing software in three-month chunks, but got used to it pretty quick. <laughs> and what was it like, um, you know, at, following some of your time at Cornerstone, you, you found your way back into startup land. What were some of the things that you learned, you know, from the processes at the, the larger releases that were then helpful for yeah. going back? Or, 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 the, or was it? It was super helpful, and it's it's honestly still been super helpful in, in this environment that I'm in today. Um, I think the rigorous process that went 
that we went through at Cornerstone has been something that I could like model bits and pieces of depending on the scale of the company that I'm working at at any point in time. So mm. um, when it's just a handful of folks working on a startup, we can ditch half of those things. But as processes need to mature and more and more people get added to the fold and more teams or pods or squads start uh, maturing and growing, there's like a, a really good backbone I have for how to think about how to scale an organization that way now. Um, so it's been useful even at Sidebench where you know, we have some product teams that are you know as small as five to eight folks and others that are as big as 25 people and have three or four different work streams. And each of those requires a different level of rigor around the process and the clients in some cases have a different requirement around the process as well. We're providing a product team to an organization that already has a product team or many product teams and we're sort of tagging along. We can play those games and if we need to build the process entirely from the ground up because they're non-technical co-founders we can do that too so it's been been pretty fun pretty useful so it sounds like it's been helpful to to kind of repeat what you're saying is that the the skills that you learn by being in that larger cornerstone environment as well as the the startups have, have filtered into your day-to-day today Absolutely. Could, could you double click into that a little bit? I'd love to hear maybe a couple of specifics as sure. to, you know, how you've seen that work. Yeah. So um, let's talk about some elusive topic for product managers, road mapping. Right? Okay. I've heard very, of it. Yeah. Very, uh, very much the bane of our existence sometimes and also such a useful tool. But, you know, in a, in a larger organization, when you are releasing products, especially in like a B2B SaaS environment, you're going to affect many different businesses with each release. And so the, the roadmap of what is going to come needs to be relatively stable. Uh, and then once you release something against that roadmap and you're refreshing that roadmap, you need to communicate what actually got released in a meaningful way that allows those organizations to absorb those new features and changes in an expected way, right? Yeah. When you're going to introduce an entirely new workflow to someone's existing process that has 10,000 employees using the tool, for example, you, you better communicate well in advance of what's coming, when it's planned to come, and when it comes, what's changing, right? Yeah, what uh, actually made it, yeah. Yeah, and you know, in a startup environment, a roadmap can be way squishier, right? It can be kind of like now, next, later. We don't put dates on these things. We're just trying to learn really, really quick and ship as fast as we can. Uh, and so the, the same tool is used in a very different way, I guess. Oh, that's terrific. It's, and it's a fun way to, to look at road mapping in, in the very different, uh, environments. And, uh, I've, I've worked in the, the larger corporates and, and the startups as well, but I, I hadn't put that piece together about, you know, the, the secondhand, you know, byproducts of that roadmap that you put out in the larger organization versus the, the smaller startups where, you know, you, once you commit to something, especially if, you know, if there's a PR push that's been centered around that, which has been my experience as well, oh, yeah. uh, you gotta, you gotta deliver on the promise, let people know what you're doing. Uh, whereas at a startup, yeah, your point, you're right. It's, uh, I think squishy is a terrific word for it. It, <laughs> it can, you have a sense of what it's supposed to be, but you know, tomorrow you might come in and it might go, in a different direction and then and then Wednesday might go back or, or somewhere entirely new. Yeah, exactly. And the, the other big, I think, difference in the big orgs is um, you have a lot of cross-functional communication that has to happen too, right? It's not just 
product team working with the engineering team and the design team to release something, you're impacting marketing, you're impacting PR, you're impacting their clients, you're impacting all kinds of other schedules. So uh, it really, really matters how well you communicate, the bigger it gets, which is also where the rigor has to come in and why things slow down. And there's a good reason for all those things, but very different pace. Have you, are you, do you have any communication tips that you're willing to share? Um, I guess both, you know, both in the, the larger setting and the smaller setting and maybe anything that carries over mm -hmm. between the two. Yes. Um, Man, I guess uh, the thing that I still wish I was better at, but works in either environment is communicating what you intend to do and then constantly reiterating what we all agreed to <laughs> and then where we're at in the process and mm. repeating that every single time the team gets together is this is where we said we're going. This is where we're at today. This is where we plan to be tomorrow. This is where we said we're going. This is where we're at today. This is where we plan to go tomorrow. And that that sort of like loop that you constantly got to bring people on with you is so important, uh, especially in like the higher growth startup mode when you're maybe like post series A, series B, and things are moving and changing super fast. And there's multiple executives who've got multiple opinions and things are changing in it, on the daily. Like when you're not over communicating about what we've all agreed to accomplish and where we're at. And if we need to change it, we can change it then great. But if you miss on that, like directional communication, it's so hard to get it back. That's funny. And I, I'm just thinking back to, you know, prior meetings that I've had where, you know, the way you describe it, Oh, you know, here's what we said we do. Here's where we are, you know, here's, here's the progress. It sounds like, you know, okay, whatever, who, who cares? Like that sounds like a, a you know, a, you know, a placeholder in a meeting, but I have also never been a part of a single project and I'm, you can share maybe if you have yeah. where you've actually hit the timeline on every single piece and you've delivered everything you do, you said you would uh, at some point there is a deviation. So it's funny. It, I, I've, I also haven't tried that technique where you literally go in every single time, every single meeting saying, Hey, here's what we said we do. And then you'd show them like, maybe the minor deviations i've yeah i've unfortunately been you know in some meetings where you know those little things have added up and then you're like hey we may have to lose this feature and then people start to lose their minds <laughs> even though everyone's been at the same status meetings all the way through yeah uh, it's, it's sometimes if you don't if you miss that piece of communication yeah. and you don't put it back into context uh, that can lead to you know different products than you were hoping to deliver uh, and different different reactions that re-level setting on context is so important it's like here's the map we're sailing from here to here here's where we're at in our journey here's what we've learned since then and we need to recourse from here to here but we're still sailing to the same place or we're trying to anyway uh so just reiterating that over and over is, is powerful that's great um oh i know another one that goes well oh, yeah. all, all levels of fidelity or size of company is, um, I call it stop, start, uh, reset. So anytime something needs to deviate, uh, we need to stop, stop and reset expectations at that point. Uh, and that could be things like roadmap needs to change. It could be things like new team members have joined. It could be things like some sort of knowledge transfer 
or a cross-functional unit that's getting introduced. Like maybe there's a, a legal review midway through before a release happens, but there needs to be a like very intentional stop, check-in and resetting of expectations when there are critical moments in a plan, uh, mostly, especially with new people joining. Otherwise, all the context is gone and everyone misses where we're trying to go and no one saw the map, they're just on the journey. Oh no, I'd love to, to stick on this for a minute. So can, can you walk me through? Cause I, I, I'm getting kind of the sense of what you're going for, but I'd love to really be clear on it. So yeah. So uh, let's walk through that imaginary scenario. Um, an example, or, or an example from the past. Yeah. Yeah. An example would be um, we've got a, a pod or squad or team, whatever word you're used to using working on a particular roadmap and the technical architect for some reason needs to switch projects or leaves the company and a new technical architect joins the team. Okay. What I see a lot of teams do is just like roll, keep rolling against the plan and hope that that person catches up and understands where the hell we're trying to go. Okay. Uh, only to find out, you know, six sprints later, let's call it that uh, they are totally missing some context and don't understand the team norms or, or what the plan was. And so now we're all on different pages and we're, we're rehashing arguments we've already had. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, whereas let's say that technical architect is leaving for whatever reason, new technical architect comes in, the team stops, gets together and says, Hey, we want to onboard you to this project. Here's what we did in the past to get to where we are today. Here's where we're trying to go in the future. And here are some critical decisions we made along the way. Here are our team norms. Here's how we like to operate. Here's how we communicate, so on and so forth. Just so everybody is on the same page and abundantly clear that onboards that next person so much better than having them hopefully catch up by just paying attention and gleaning it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's safety time downstream. I promise. <laughs> You know, it's kind of interesting too. So in addition to, you know, onboarding a new person mid-flight, you know, when there's a change in pilots, uh, I can also see usefulness in this for general stakeholders during milestone meetings. I'm thinking like I've had so many demos where you show, you know, something along the way for a major milestone and, you know, you get the applause from the crowd. But um, to really stop and say, hey, you know, and uh, you often provide context to the value of what we're doing, but not like at the level of like basically kickoff meeting at every milestone saying, Hey, here's what we're doing and treat each milestone as the end of the project and the beginning of the next project. Cause that's essentially as they all are, once you deliver something, you're building to the next thing. And in many ways you, you could just do a mental, you know, break like, and just say, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like what's it's already in the past. Like we're already we're still looking to the forward to the future instead of like in general. I've been on projects and you just picture the big project from the beginning to the end, whereas like each time you hit a milestone, it's literally it everything behind you is past and it's river, water under the bridge. You got to keep moving forward with whatever yeah. you, wherever you are at that moment. Well, it's especially important when there are new people joining or milestone to milestone planning changes, or yeah. you know there are are significant changes in some way related to the project or the team that's like the stop start reset moment uh the other thing i'd say is like reflection is always valuable and you know when we think about agile or scrum methodologies you've got retros built in the retro is kind of in, intended to be that like stop 
look back at a period of time and figure out what we can do better and how we can be more aligned going into next sprint. You can do that at the milestone level or when something significant changes also. Yeah. Where, where do you see this, this going? Like, is there, is there a future in, like, do you see the future of milestone reviews or, you know, onboarding of teams of team members changing in, in the next two to five years? Is there, mm, it's like, probably changed since you, since, you know, you've grown as a product person, you know, there's, Certainly more, there's certainly more movement now than it ever has been. Yeah. Do you see it going in a certain direction? You see it improving or, or, or you know, uh, decaying in, in uh, the next two to five years? I don't know. I think all these things have already like been there. It's just a matter of how you work them into your team norms. I think like what's the new hype product management tool is a linear. They call it cycles, I think, inside of their like framework or model for how the project management tool operates. But like, that's a milestone. It's a sprint. It's some sort of time boxed series that, you know, you stop, check in, reflect and figure out how to be better. I think for us and the thing that, that's worked really well is just looking for those significant changes and, and being conscious about, hey, something big is changing. We should stop and recollect ourselves versus trying to just burn through them. I don't know if it's going to change anything about the industry, though. Yeah. Yeah. So may, it may not, you know be any groundbreaking but there, there'll be there'll, there'll certainly be renaming of the things that we've done in the past totally uh, and potentially with yeah, like minor tweaks to it and like you know i we've, all of a sudden we're all talking about continuous discovery again but i don't know when that wasn't the case or where it went <laughs> but it seems new for some reason right now just you get, you get on the hype cycles i guess uh, and yeah there's never been a moment in product management where you know we've tended to, to be the voice of the customer. We've tended to, right. Yeah. want to speak to some, to someone, I guess, I guess, I guess, you know, maybe the, the biggest piece of it is really the, the collaboration and maybe that, that that's where it's really bringing in, we're bringing in the, the designer and the engineer, you know, early and often where we used to be the, the voice of the customer. And now it's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're more, we're more of a, a voice of the customer and we'll bring everyone else with us. I love that. A voice of the customer and collaborative, uh, collaborative process to get to that. You know, one thing on that same note is uh, leaning on CX teams is something that I feel like more sophisticated product teams are getting better at. Like mm. a treasure trove of voice of the customer is constant feedback through your customer success or customer experience team and how do you enable that as a flywheel in the process or, or at each milestone or wherever you stick it into your flow? Yeah, that's something I, I agree that I, I found just kind of anecdotally that when, when I have a problem in my app, you know, I'll often hit up the, the QA person because who knows this app better than those folks? Uh, they, they, yeah. they're, they're hitting it, especially on like, you know, mobile app development, they're hitting it on different devices all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, they could be quite handy, but then at the same time, um, you know, when you're in planning phases and not to say that folks don't do this at some co certain companies, but in my experience, most of the time, more often than not, uh, that frontline worker, the connection directly to the customers aren't always in the conversations with uh, design and engineering and, and product as you're building it. So, 
maybe maybe the next level of connect, continuous discovery is yet yeah, the, C, the CX. So it's no longer a triad. It's a I don't know. It's a quadrangle, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, I uh, I also love the CX route into product too. So if you're ever thinking about mm. recruit from across your company, man. Talk to the CX team. They've been talking to your customers all day. They know where all the pain's at. They're in a very metrics-driven role, and uh, they have to be empathetic to do their job. So it's a good good channel within your org to promote from. Yeah, and I, you know, as you say that, there's a couple folks who come to mind in the LA product community who I know have come up through that, through that, that path. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's pretty awesome, especially because they have that, that appreciation for – for the frontline appreciation for the customers and that, and that empathy that, you know, they've dealt with enough calls to, to oh, really man. have it in grade. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a fun tangent. No, that's awesome. Cause <laughs> that's, that's what we're here for. Um, I, I would love to, to hear this, Chris. So, you know, one, one of the things that we do here is we focus on uh, LA and, and, and for, for full disclosure, uh, Chris is calling us from Portland, but he is a longtime Angelino. He does a lot of business down in LA, so uh, he, he is he is also founder co-founder of Product Hang, uh, the product management um, networking group. So he's very much part of the LA product community, even even up in Portland area. But uh, love to hear, you know, what is the most LA thing? that uh, you experienced in, in your, your many years here in Los Angeles, Chris? <laughs> and product related or not, doesn't have to be uh, business related, yeah. but what's the, what's the LA thing about uh, Chris Barrington? What is his story? Uh, the one I thought about when you had given me a heads up on this was um, I used to have, I'm pretty sure the same coffee routine as Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> and so he was like super childhood hero of mine. I grew up playing hockey and Gretzky. The great one, the great one, Wayne Gretzky. At the time. Uh, and he was the only celebrity I've completely frozen up talking to. Like, I never, ever have that problem. I'm not really a celebrity weirdo at all. But Wayne Gretzky totally made me freeze in my tracks when I said hello to him. I couldn't get another word out of my mouth at the coffee bean. And then I had to see him, like, every other day or so for, like, two years. <laughs> that is terrific. And I was just like super, you know, super afraid to speak to him again. I would hide from him if we were in life. <laughs> which, which now I have to ask, you know, what, what, what is his drink? What, what does uh, Wayne Gretzky get when he goes to Coffee Bean? Oh man, I have no idea. Oh no, <laughs> I was thinking you'd have, you'd like, you could have gone two to, two different directions. Either you don't know it, or or you like you memorize it and you start to get oh, the same two, drink. Two sugar. Oh, packets. you, me, you, you, me. <laughs> two sugar packets, half one percent, half two percent milk. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, ask for your name and you're like, oh, I'm the great one. Have, <laughs> have him write it down on your, your cup. He was very nice for whatever it was worth. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he, I remember uh, he hosted a, an episode of Sarant Live when I was growing up. Uh, he, he was hilarious and, yeah, uh, yeah seemingly a, a great person. Awesome, Chris. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this is this has been a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate yeah. uh, you spending your time with us here. Absolutely, this is a, a nice departure from the normal day to day. So appreciate the time, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's it's been a lot of fun on this end as well, Chris. I also want to thank our sponsors. It's PMALA. That's PMA.LA. It's the professional organization in Los Angeles. I have an upcoming event. Uh, at least to keep this evergreen. I have an event on October twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. 
Um, it's going to be talking about enterprise product management, and hopefully uh, we'll get Henry Vasquez from Cornerstone On Demand. Oh, we'll, nice. we'll make this full circle. Uh, he will be at the event on October 27th, and uh, maybe we'll try to get him on this podcast at some point. Also, like to thank our sponsor, Uruit. That's U-R-U-I-T.com. Um, they do uh, product development. They're near shore and they help companies uh, with their needs, uh, allow them to focus on you know, their core products while the Uruit team helps build out their innovative practices. So U-R-U-I-T.com like to thank the listeners thank you all for joining us and uh we will see you next time on product in la thanks y'all